ladies and gentlemen, the following episode is scheduled for one fall. Coming down the aisle are your hosts of In The Click, Baby Huey and Brian Pronick. What's up, everybody? Baby Huey here, and joining me once again is my tag team partner from the Bullet Cats. It's Brandon. How's it going, man? Hi, Baby Huey. It's a pleasure. We tried to do an episode a couple weeks ago to, for my illustrious return, uh, but we had some technical difficulties, so now we're back. I'm excited to talk some revolution, some AEW. It's been a hell of a weekend here in the Bay Area. Yes, absolutely. And I do apologize once again. That was totally my fault. I, I thought I it was something on your end. I remember you said something like the, my microphone didn't sound right. I was like, oh, maybe it's your end or your headphones or something. Like I thought I had everything properly connected. It was totally my fault. My microphone uh, somehow disconnected and all the audio you heard and what was I ended up putting out there because I don't want to throw away the episode completely. I said, I'll still put release it. Yeah, it was all audio straight from my webcam up here on my top of my desktop here. So uh, that's why I sounded like AM radio, very distorted or, or, or low quality. So I do apologize. So I, uh, little backstory for Christmas, I got a, a Rodecaster Pro 2, the second model, and uh, I did a firmware update right before I recorded with you, and normally every episode or every time I use, I use streamer, StreamYard to record m- remotely with everyone, and uh, uh, I normally check the inputs, make sure my microphone is selected properly, my webcam selected properly, headphones, all that. This time I did not. I, I guess I just got busy talking to you for hit record. And sure enough, yeah, everything was out of place, maybe because the firmware update, all the inputs were off. So, yeah, I do apologize. It was a great episode. I thought you and I covered a lot of great stuff on that episode. But, yeah, I, I was disappointed in my performance because the audio sounded like crap. But uh, we're making up for it right now. Like you said, it's going to be our AEW focus episode. We're going to talk revolution that happened at the Chase Center in San Francisco, and we're going to talk about the fallout episode of Dynamite this past week up at uh, Golden One Center in Sacramento. So a lot of fun, a lot of stuff to talk about. And yes, I don't know about you, Brandon. I feel like I'm still recovering from, what was it, five days of nonstop wrestling here in the Bay Area. Uh, last Wednesday, had uh, Dynamite at the Cow Palace. Rampage, also at the Cow Palace that Friday night. In between, on Thursday, had Oasis Pro over at Gilman Brewing. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it to that one. Saturday, we had West Coast Pro Wrestling at the Irish Cultural Center in San Francisco. We were out there for that. And then Sunday, yeah, the big show, Revolution at the Chase Center. So I kind of curious your overall thoughts of just AEW finally popping its San Francisco cherry and coming to the Bay Area for uh, five days worth of, of shows. Your overall takes of it. No, it was a fun time. Uh, I wasn't planning on going to uh, the Dynamite to Rampage shows, but uh, luckily I was able to uh, to get a ticket to go to Dynamite on uh, Wednesday. So it w- it was a fun time going back to the Cow Palace, as you mm-hmm. know, you know APW uh, ran some shows there, and it's a, a historic venue. And yes. I kind of thought that's where AEW is just going to go, regardless, because Cody had that connection to the cow palace like oh you know they're, they'll be here but now <laughs> cody's not there anymore but they still came so that was cool and then uh yeah you know west coast pro on on saturday was one of the better if not the best indie show i've been to it's if you guys don't know it's very well if you don't know what like pwg is like the mm-hmm. super duper indies bringing in like a lot of the big names and having like just 
very high impact, high fast paced matches. It was a really fun time. Then obviously Sunday revolution kind of capped it all off. And yeah, I mean, as you said, I've been waiting for this. I mean, what tickets went on sale like back in December and we kind of knew this was taken on like back in November. Mm -hmm. So it's been waiting for a long time. And even before that, we did some for the bullet cast. We did some, uh, some things before that. So March or February going into March was kind of a loaded month. And now it's all over and I don't know. I don't know what to do with myself anymore. <laughs> I know. I, me too. Like I, I, the last couple of days, I've just been recovering, trying to rest where I can. And then I'm still like, oh, like, what do I do with myself now? I'm just like, oh, man, it, it's come and gone just like that. Wham, bam. Thank you, man. But, you know, we do have a, a, a WrestleMania coming up in a few weeks and we got a lot of stuff to look forward to throughout the, the summer. It's still exciting times. But, yeah, I, I do need this time, though, to decompress. Like, I don't plan on doing much this coming weekend. I just want to relax and take it easy. It was on the go a lot, driving back and forth to the cap house. But yes, I I'm with you. I do have a lot of nostalgic love for the cap house legendary venue. And like, that was my first wrestling show. I saw Hogan versus slaughter. My parents took my brother and I, and then, uh, uh, as you said, yeah, APW a few years ago, did a couple shows there that were incredible. So much fun. So I definitely have a special place in my heart for the cow palace for pro wrestling. I know it's, it's a little bit older and it, uh, it's been, uh, been around for a long time. It has its wear and tear, but still has a special place. And I could see past some of that older, you know, the older presentation of it and still love it. But, uh, but then when you get to chase and you're like, wow, like this is the now the future of a sporting arena. So definitely it was, it was a cool, just overall, uh, uh, experience nonetheless so i'm glad a, uh, aew ran to cow palace i know one of the guys at the cow palace who's a listener he was trying for years to get them there and they finally said they were going to come through and so i'm glad they they came back there or excuse me they made their debut there and uh hopefully they come back there one more time at some point in the near future which i will touch on that a little bit in the media scrum uh, have one question about that, but uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. So much fun. Um, I'm glad to see Oasis Pro and West Coast took advantage of those off nights and run shows. So if you're in te- came in town, you literally have five straight nights of pro wrestling to attend to. So a lot of stuff. I know there was a bowling thing with AEW. Was it Saturday afternoon? I was so bummed. I kind of wanted to go to that, but my schedule was too busy with radio work and all that stuff. But it looked like it was awesome. You had to see most of the roster out there. That seemed incredible. I was kind of hoping maybe they'll do like a convention or something, but I think Brandon and you would know from your experience with double or nothing in Las Vegas is, is the convention usually just, just only for Las Vegas only for double or nothing weekend. So I've been to two of the double, I guess all the Las Vegas double or nothings and both times. Well, the first time was the star cast, which isn't technically oh, affiliated with okay. AEW, but it, it kind of was, but then the last one in 2022, they did have a kind of full blown convention, and that's you know the infamous MJF didn't show up for a signing one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also was able to go to the 2021 All Out when uh, CM Punk was making his return, and they did have a convention there. It was like a little. I I didn't go, but I know it was like a little smaller. So definitely for double or nothing, they kind of always do one, and then All Out, I think they do one as well. But those are kind of their two mainstays. They're always going to be in Chicago, always going to be Las Vegas. And I know Full Gear and Revolution kind of they switch around where they're going to be. So, and they're kind of the lower level ones out of the two, out of the four. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, I definitely want to experience like the convention aspect of it at some point. So hopefully maybe next time they come through here, they could do something like that. Or maybe, yeah, I'll make a trip to Las Vegas and just experience it over there in Sin City. But so let's go ahead and jump right into this AEW dynamite, uh, excuse me, revolution this past Sunday. Um, 
Yeah, we had the go home episodes of Dynamite Rampage, as we said, at the Cap House. Uh, I thought the first hour of like Dynamite at the Cap House was really good. And the second half kind of fell off a little bit. And then Rampage, which was live that Friday, more or less just got in some random matches thrown together, which is kind of what Rampage's MO has been pretty much its whole existence. Uh, but nonetheless, Revolution came and just walking up to the Chase Center, the buzz, just the atmosphere. It was incredible. You could tell everyone was just super excited. Big pay-per-view. They only do four pay-per-views a year. So this was a big deal in San Francisco. And so just I think the whole wrestling community here in Northern California came out. A lot of people flew in, traveled in as well. That's always exciting just to see other people come to to our hometown and us representing. So the, the, the show started with Zero Hour and kind of like a last minute match. I think it was announced Friday. It was uh, Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers taking on uh, pretty much Mark Sterling's crew of uh, uh, I had it. Where did it go? Uh, Ari Davari and Josh Woods and Tony Nese. I was surprised they only had one match on Zero Hour. I thought they might have like two or three to kind of set things up. But uh, yeah, just one match which was fine by me. They did mostly a lot of promos and video packages. Renee Paquette kind of held down the fort. For uh, the zero hour, but the, that one opening match though, a lot of fun. It was cool to see Mark Briscoe in person. Unfortunately, you know we can't see Jay anymore. Sadly, passed away earlier this year. But uh, the match itself was a lot of fun. Mark Briscoe, dude, it seems like everywhere he goes, the crowd loves him. But what'd you think of this uh, opening match here on Zero Hour? It was it was just a, a fun, straightforward six man uh, tag match. You know, Lucha Bros are always going to be over here in the Bay. You know, they got ties to uh, APW. You know, George Kittle with the San Francisco Forty ers Him and Penta have a relationship there, so it's always fun to see the Lucha Bros. And uh, yeah, as you said, Mark Briscoe was happy to be able to see him in person, and it was just a fun little match. And you know, after waiting in line for the merch for like an hour, uh, oh. just being able to oh. sit down and just kind of watch the match. Uh, it was, you know, just kind of a fun kind of chill out time. And where I was sitting, we were kind of next to one of those lounges. So we just kind of sat down, watched the match and then left and kind of hung out in the lounge again for the next half hour. Because this match was relatively early in the yeah. one hour time span. And you said yeah. only one match. And I'm fine with that. I think we'll go on deeper into it. But I thought the pacing and the structure of this show mm-hmm. was, was fantastic. OK, cool. Yeah. Uh, just seeing I mean, I've seen you know a few Mark Briscoe matches over the years. Uh, I do know his body of work, obviously, in ROH, legendary tag team with his brother, the Briscoes. But, you know, just the way he's kind of presented, I think he could be a really awesome baby face, like blue collar, hardworking, the everyday person you know, mentality. I, I I really hope they do some fun things with Mark Briscoe in the near future. Like, I, I think he could maybe be maybe like this generation's Mick Foley, like someone that seems like an underdog. He doesn't have like the best physique or look or whatever, but he comes off so relatable. I, I think something like that. And that's something I kind of thought Eddie Kingston would be. Or, and Eddie Kingston has some of that characteristics with his time in AEW so far. But Mark Briscoe, I think that can be he can be a really amazing baby face, whether he just stays in ROH completely or maybe moves over to AEW more often. But I'm definitely going to keep an eye out on Mark Briscoe in 2023 to kind of see how he's presented his character development. I'm really excited about all that. So yes, as you said, the, the baby faces went over here, uh, Mark Briscoe and the Lucha brothers, um, which uh, at this time, I'm kind of curious what they're going to do with the tag team titles for ROH. Mark Briscoe still has his, 
So I don't know if they. So everybody, if you're uh, listening to this, and I know there's a bunch of big ROH fans, all all ten thousand of you guys. Yes. (laughs) And spoilers incoming, but they are going to have a a ladder match at SuperCard of Honor WrestleMania weekend for the tag titles. We don't know if Mark's going to be involved, but that is going to be the way to determine the tag champions. Okay, awesome. Was that announced on Honor Club last week? I think so. I I saw something. I think it might have been like something they taped. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, they taped a bunch of episodes a couple weekends ago. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, yeah, that came out uh, with spoilers and whatnot. So, um, okay, let's jump into the main show. So, uh, I was actually kind of surprised with the opener here. Ricky Starks taking on my celebrity best friend, friend of the show, Chris Jericho. And um, this match, I won. I, I, I was surprised, like, how simple it was as far as execution it wasn't overly booked or anything. Granted, I know the stipulation going into this, which Ricky Starks kind of hooked Chris Jericho in on the uh, couple weeks prior on Dynamite, but JAS are not were banned from ringside, so they're not allowed to come out, interfere. Even though Sammy Guevara did come at the end, which we'll talk about the finish in a second, but it was pretty much a straight up wrestling match. And I was kind of surprised they went early on the card, but overall, I thought it was a pretty decent opener here. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I don't know if I'd say the perfect opener, but Jericho, big name, have the crowd sing his theme song. Ricky yeah. Starks is over, you know, have have him win the match, which I thought was a, a great decision. Yeah, they didn't go out there to steal the show, which at this point in Jericho's career, I don't know if he could in a single style match, but I thought it was just a good, solid singles match. And it's going to be the theme throughout the card. You know, there's a couple things I thought were really good and everything else is just kind of good, but there was nothing bad on the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the finish here, I mean, they were going back and forth, slugging it out. And then Sammy Guevara ran down to the ring, which was like, whoa, wait a sec. No members of JAS are allowed there. But uh, Action Andretti came out of nowhere with a hood on, tackled him and prevented him from coming into the ring. And then uh, uh, the ref was distracted by Guevara. And then uh, while they were brawling outside, uh, Jericho uh, uh, cracked his bat over Ricky Starks. But uh, it didn't went for the juice effect, but Ricky blocked it. And then uh, uh, Ricky Starks nailed Jericho with the Rochambeau and pinned him. So big win for Ricky Starks. And I'm kind of excited to see where he goes next. So I did the media scrum after the show. And he was one of the three wrestlers who came down after and spoke. And man, if you have a chance, so subscribe to In The Clicks YouTube page. I uploaded all the footage that I recorded from that media scrum up there. Watch the Ricky Starks one. Uh, just long story short, he just sums up that he kind of lost his confidence a few months ago. Just got it back. He's feeling good about where he's going to go. And I expect big things for him in 2023. And I think he could be a really big baby face for the company, main eventer. And he did touch on, you know, him and MJF had that quick program, I think, end of last year. And I myself and a lot of people were kind of hoping we could go on a little longer. It felt kind of rushed. Early prediction. I'm calling it now here on March 9th. Let's say MJF is champion throughout this year. I'm sure he's going to hold it hostage in the storyline. Is he going to leave in 2024 as a free agent with the title with him? I predict maybe Ricky Starks is going to be the one to dethrone him and they can revisit their storyline one year later. So that's that's one early prediction I have. So I know you brought his name up earlier, kind of in a throwaway line. But I've been saying this for weeks and months. Eddie Kingston's my pick to be the one to dethrone MJF. Okay, good. All right. I like that, too. Eddie Kingston, you know, doing things over in ROH right now. He he quit AEW, which is funny. He's still with the company technically because they own ROH. But 
anyway, don't, don't get caught up in the weeds on that one. But uh, 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 so no, Ricky Starks, I'm excited to see what he's next going to do next with them. Over on Dynamite, though, we did see him uh, come out. Let's see. I had it here. Oh, he came to the ring and <laughs> he cuts great promo. Lights go out. Bullet Club logo appears on the big screen and everyone I don't know about you, Brandon. I thought that was Jay White going to come out. I was like, oh, my God, they got Jay White. But sure enough, it was Juice Robinson. So I guess he's back in Bull Club, comes out and attacks him. So how do you think about this new angle that uh, looks like uh, Ricky Stark is going to be going off into? I, you know, week one, I don't want to jump ahead too <laughs> far, but I, I think it is kind of a step down for Ricky Starks, you know, okay. beating Jericho. You think, okay, he beat Jericho. He can go off into the next level, maybe MJF or someone even higher than that. And then now it's Juice Robinson. And no disrespect to Juice. Like, I think he does really good work uh, over in New Japan, but he just hasn't really gotten that shine in AEW. Yeah. So I I don't know. Like, if it's just kind of a way to get, like, a couple of good TV matches and Ricky beats him and he moves on to something better for double or nothing because we are almost two months away. So it's going to be mm-hmm. hard to fill that much TV time. I'm fine with that. But I, I agree. You know, the the tease of possibly Jay White when, you know, it wasn't the right Jay White music. It's just the regular basic Bullet Club theme. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole thing. Yeah. So that I, you're right, though. I think him versus Juice Robinson, it's a good veteran for him to face and do, you know, probably a couple weeks worth of programming with. And then have a big match, and and Ricky gets the win. So it's just get another win under his belt, and probably start building up, building him up for something big down the line. So yeah, I think that's ultimately what this is going to be. So uh, next up was the last burial match: Jungle Boy taking on Christian Cage, and this kind of came up out of nowhere as far as this stipulation. I think it was on Dynamite. Christian Cage came out, cut out this great promo at the Cow House with Renee, and. All of a sudden, we had this video package of of Jack Perry, and he has a shovel, and he's bare. He's like, it looks like in a cemetery, digging up, uh, you know, dirt in a ground at, at a gravesite. And it was revealed their match is going to be last burial match. And so, I think a lot of people were like, "Uh, is this what's this going to be? What is this going to be a casket match?" And ultimately, that's kind of what it was for for us WWE fans. It literally they had a casket up at the top of the stage ramp entrance off to the side. And yeah, they just beat the crap out of each other, both in jeans. I like Christian cage had like a, a cutoff turtleneck on. And the point being, you know, you uh, throw your opponent in the casket, close the door and you win. So um, I thought this was a big match for jungle boy, just to kind of reestablish him. I know this feud's kind of been ongoing for months now. There was a lot of downtime because Christian was out injured, but in the last couple of weeks to kind of revisit this once he got healthy again. So it was the last one, you know, the last match between the two of them. But how do you think this match uh, came out? I thought the match was fine. Um, you know, Jungle Boy has his Bay Area ties, but I, maybe he wasn't as over as maybe I thought he was going to be. Okay. Um, you know, like Will Hobbs, obviously, I think he got a much bigger reception than Jungle Boy did. Um, but the match was like fine, you know, a, a brawl, a little hardcore stuff. And as you said, the the injury to Christian Cage, I think, derailed the Jungle Boy journey mm-hmm. just a little bit because this match probably should have taken place, well, like four or five months ago. And now <laughs> yeah. we're finally finishing it. Um I, I like the finish, you know, the finally we get the concerto and I guess Jungle Jungle Boy's a jungle man now. And I I did think the the closing of the casket and then Christian just like falls down in the puff of smoke was a little comedic. Like I got a chuckle out of that and I don't think that's what they were going for. But, 
you know, it is what it is. I remember I was watching it, you know, from my my seat. Uh, I think you and I were directly across each other from the arena. And from my angle, it, like it looked, reminded me of In Your House, Barry Alive with Taker and stuff. I was like, uh, uh, Brian Tronic was over one section. I texted him. I was like, dude, this reminds me of like In Your House, like 1995 or something. So um, it was just, yeah, it kind of had an interesting look to it. But nonetheless, yeah, I, it was pretty interesting or cool when you know, Jungle Boy finally got Christian in there, slammed the door. It fell right down, a little smoke like puffed out. Um, but no, overall, I'm very happy for Jungle Boy. Get the win here. And now we're, I'm, I want to see where he goes next. I want Jungle Boy is one of the pillars of AEW, one of the young talents that they signed from day one. I know he was with, you know, Luchasaurus for a long time. Jungle, or, uh, um, Lucha, wait, it's not Jurassic. Luchasaurus, right? Jurassic Express, sorry. Um, they were a tag team for a long time. I want to see him really break out in a singles run and see where he can accomplish. I, I mean, who knows? Maybe that could be another person that can be elevated to the main event scene, hopefully maybe by the end of this year and could be another pillar type person from the roster that can go after MJF. So maybe that story towards the end, you know, kayfabe of uh, MJF's contract and is he threatening to walk away as champion, go to the other company, maybe another pillar member from the roster could be the one to save AEW and get the title back from him. So maybe Jungle Boy could be another person. So I like that you and I are kind of throwing it out there. Ricky Starks, Eddie Kingston. Yeah, maybe Jungle Boy. One of them, I think, should be the one to maybe really go after MGF towards maybe the end of his title reign at some point. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. During his little hiatus uh, when he, you know, was team with Jungle, when Jungle Hook was a thing for like three weeks, uh, he said yeah. he he, he was going to go off and win a singles title. So I don't think that means technically he has to be the world title, but, you know, Will Hobbs, Powerhouse Hobbs just won the title. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a good, uh, what, the only heel outside of MJF that has the title because mm. I don't think he's going to, you know, take it from uh, Orange Cassidy or anything like that. There's so many singles titles to go around. <laughs> I think Jungle Boy can find one. Exactly. Uh, next up, it was the AEW World Trios Championship match, and this was the Elite taking on House of Black, a match that <laughs> the build was kind of lackluster or lack of. I, we were there dynamite where we really saw the only interaction, physical interaction between them as far as Elite were getting ready to come out. They played the Kansas carry on Wayward Son, and the lights go out. You hear a little beat up. All of a sudden, House of Black are standing there over the elite with the titles and they turn the lights off again. And I think for a lot of people, like, that's it. Like for weeks, they had like backstage promos of the elite, like playing with basketballs, uh, but no interaction between them. I think there was a challenge from House of Black a couple weeks prior, but it was kind of like a terrible build. Excuse me. And then the dynamite, it was just a flick of the switch on and off. And that's it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have a match on Sunday. So, um, but the match itself over delivered. It was so much fun. What'd you think of this one here? I mean, this match definitely met the very high expectation. I think a lot of people had just a, a six man elite spot fest special. And yeah. I kind of put, you know, this match, the uh, death match and the main event kind of in those that three upper tier that kind of carries the uh, my positive grade for this uh, show overall. And. I mean, it's exactly what you would think. It was hard hitting. There was a lot of different spots. If you just ignore the selling and maybe some of the logic <laughs> that's involved, then yeah. you can definitely enjoy this match. And I, I did pick the elite to win, but I was very happy that the House of Black won. 
thinking that now we're going to get the elite kind of splitter off and the young bucks can go over the tag titles. Kenny Omega can go off and, you know, face MJF for the world title, mm-hmm. but going off a of dynamite, that's not the, ex- the immediate uh, journey they're going on right now. Yeah. So let's talk about dynamite as well. And I just had it here. Let's see, where did it go? Um, so yeah, the match itself, like I, for me, I was looking forward to seeing Kenny Omega and Malachi Black in the ring. And you know, my thoughts are, oh, man, this could have been like a really awesome takeover match like four years ago. If Kenny Omega would have left New Japan and gone to NXT, uh, I think a lot of people were excited to see them to go at it specifically in the ring. While the uh, uh, Young Bugs and Murphy and and uh, uh, um, and uh, 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 Brody King were out there going all over the place like i said so many crazy spots in this match you definitely if you haven't watched it you need to but the crowd really got amped up seeing kenny omega malachi black in the ring together and so i think that was a big moment there for for everyone and fans just to see them actually square off um but the match itself we saw uh the elite you know smash malachi black with the bte trigger but buddy matthews was there for the save and uh, Matt Jackson called for the Meltzer driver. Shout out Dave Meltzer was in attendance. Saw him at the media scrum as well. <laughs> but uh, Buddy Matthews countered the House of Black finish off. They finish off Matt Jackson with Dante's Inferno and Malachi Black grabbed the pit. And, and yeah, they are the new AEW World Trios champion, which thank God they needed something. They've just been existing in AEW, but have not accomplished anything. And they needed this win desperately. I know I didn't have a chance to do a predictions uh, podcast beforehand, but this was a win they needed. So, but jumping ahead to Dynamite, we saw Jericho Appreciation Society out there, and Chris Jericho along with uh, uh, Sammy Guevara and uh, Daniel Garcia, they were like demanding to be the new number one contenders for the trio championship. They're calling out House of Black. It was like, whoa. All right, here we go. And then uh, sure enough, the elite come out and they're like, no, no, we want a rematch. Don Cowles grabs the mic and said, no, the elite deserves a rematch. And sure enough, House of Black shows up and it was announced that they're going to have a uh, triple threat trios match in Winnipeg next week. So kind of cool for Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega and Don Cowles all from Winnipeg. So, uh, Brandon, your thoughts on that match and any early predictions how it's going to go? Uh, once again, I just hope the elite don't win because uh, I, I, I don't want them stuck in the trios division for long. But, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I think maybe it would have been cool if we got just the you know Winnipeg battle of Kenny Omega and uh, Chris Jericho there. But yeah, if we're just kind of getting this out of the way for the, the elite can kind of get the rematch and get out like cool. But nine people in there. I don't think it's going to be as over the top as the revolution match was going to be, but okay. I mean, it, it should be a definitely a fun match because who's uh, the tag with Jericho? It's Garcia and Guevara, right? Uh, yeah. So, so on dynamite, yeah. it was them versus top flight AR Fox. So yeah, they defeated them. So Chris Jericho, Gar- Garcia and Guevara. So, so yeah, it's going to be a spot fest and Chris <laughs> Jericho pretty much. Yes, exactly. But I know I was kind of hoping with the Winnipeg date coming up, I was kind of hoping they were going to run it back from the Tokyo Dome. Jericho versus Kenny Omega, just one-on-one in front of the Winnipeg hometown crowd. But we got this instead, which is a little fine. I can I can see Jericho, you know, hey, he worked a, a singles match with Ricky Starks on Sunday. 
uh, did this trios match here and you know it's probably a little bit easier for him less wear and tear on the body the two younger guys can go out there and do most of the work and he can come out and sing along with the the hometown winnipeg crowd so uh i'm excited to see how this goes but i have a feeling house of black should retain absolutely just won the title so i i could see jericho appreciation side and the elite kind of eliminate each other and house of black can easily just pick up the win from there so i'm looking forward to yeah dynamite next week uh next up after that was the aw women's world championship match so jamie Hayter defending against ruby soho and soraya now <laughs> the story here obviously you got like soraya and tony storm who kind of Everyone's calling them like the female outsiders, aka former WWE employees in AEW, all like like Holland Nash and WCW back in the day. You got Jamie Hayter, who's one of the homegrown talent. AEW is the current champion. You got Ruby Soho, who's kind of like torn, or like people are questioning which side is she on, uh, uh, aligned with. She's been in AEW for a while now, so is she aligned with the AEW originals? Or since she technically did come from WWE, will she uh, align with Soraya? And Tony Storm, that's kind of been the main story going into this, along with a lot of green spray paint. But the match itself was pretty fun. Jamie Hayter, I like the orange colors. You know, as a San Francisco Giants fan, she did represent a little bit. I know she had like a little purple trim in there as well, I think, in her outfit. But and the as match, an Oakland A's fan, I like the green spray paint. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, but the match itself, I mean, Jamie Hayter, once again, proven she's probably one of the hardest hitters in all of pro wrestling, but this match was a lot of fun. What'd you think? It was, it was a good match. I mean, they were kind of put in a, an awkward spot trying to follow that trios match, but I yeah. thought the, the as I said, the pace of the show, I thought was fantastic. They put, you know, the, they spread out those kind of big three matches so the crowd can get up and they put some matches where the crowd kind of come down a little bit, but the crowd, as you said, you know, they like Jimmy Hader, they, you know, ambivalent, I think about Soraya and then they, you know, they like seeing a Ruby Soho song and they like her, but yeah, the match was fine. Uh, I know it's not very a, a high bar, but I thought Soraya, this might have been one of her best in-ring performances yeah. for AEW so far. So I thought that was good. And then the finish and kind of the ending sequence with Ruby, you know, mm-hmm. being with Hater, but then turning on her at the end didn't make a whole lot of sense. Like it kind of was like a swerve for the sake of being a swerve. But luckily at Dynamite, she, she cut a promo and she, I, I think she explained it to the best that she could because I think – you know, in a bubble, just looking at what happened to Revolution, it didn't make a lot of sense. But when she cut that promo later, it did make a little bit more sense. Yeah. So the finish of the match just kind of came out of nowhere. And myself included, a lot of people were just like, oh, that's it. So you know, Ruby drilled Soraya with Destination Unknown, but Jamie was there to break it up. And then Ruby went for a kick up. Hater ducked it and actually rolled up Ruby for the win. And like I said, a lot of people were just kind of shocked. Like, oh, that's suddenly it. Like, out of nowhere, the most devastating move in all pro wrestling, the roll up pin. But like, that's it. And then uh, uh, Tony Storm jumped in the ring and they, you know, beat down Hater. And and then sure enough, Ruby Soho comes in and, yeah, kicks Jamie and officially aligns with Soraya and Tony Storm and beat down Hater and Britt Baker and, you know, spray paint them and walk away. So I was like, I was kind of confused. So before Dynamite, I was still processing this. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Like you were just in a match with Soraya and Jamie Hayter. You're beating up both of them. And then all of a sudden you're going to align with one of them that was beating you up like two minutes ago. I, it, it's, it's still kind of confusing to me. This didn't really make sense. And didn't she then, like clear the ring before she like kicked Jamie Hayter? Yeah. Like she, she cleared Tony storm and Soraya of the ring. So she like attacked them quote unquote. <laughs> 
Yeah. She attacked Hater. Yeah. So I'm just like taken aback by all this. Like your motivation, like you just on a dime, just decide, okay, we were beating each other up, you know, for the last 10, 15 minutes, but I'll, I'll join with you guys now. Like, I mean, I know some people are trying to rationalize it saying, oh, well, by being a heel, she gets more opportunities for future title shots. Cause if she lines with Jamie Hayter and is her friend, Jamie Hayter's not going to give her a title shot. So by being a heel, it works better for her strategy for winning a title. But uh, on Dynamite this week, she did have a, a segment with Renee in the ring, kind of explain her actions. What are your thoughts on this as far as defending her actions? He pretty much said, like, I came in here. You guys cheered for me, but then you quickly turned on me. Same for Soraya, same for Tony Storm. She cut your basic you people promo, which is one of the oldest, you know, go to uh, excuses for people, um, you know, cutting a promo there. But what do you think of her her reasoning for turning heel and joining the outsiders being the third woman brother? Normally, the the you people promo, I don't think works, but there was enough logic in Ruby's statements that I thought it it worked out well enough, you know, saying that, you know, you guys picked Jamie Hayter over me and you guys liked other people when Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I came in and everyone liked me, but then now everyone doesn't like me as much anymore. So she's just kind of jealous of that. So, you know, normally like those you people promos and I'm trying to think of like a recent one, but nothing's really coming to mind. (laughs) Yeah, but. It, normally they don't really work out like it's like what are you talking about like everyone like loved you and now you just churned for no reason but there was a little there was reason at least in her mind and then yeah she said like kind of the moment and kind of covering up that ending spot we were just talking about she said mm-hmm. when she won well, like when she lost the match that's kind of what triggered it she didn't have that plan going into the match but when mm-hmm. she lost that's when kind of everything fell apart for her for her gotcha okay uh next up was the texas death match john moxley versus hangman adam page and this has kind of been brewing for the last couple of months. They've been going back and forth, going back when Moxley knocked out uh, Hangman for real, concussed him. Then he came back, got a big win over Moxley. So this was kind of like the rubber match between the two of them. And, and dude, at the Cow Palace, that Dynamite episode, dude, that promo Moxley cut with backstage when he was bleeding and like, oh, it was so good. Like just the intensity just got me amped up for this match. And I'm not a big like hardcore weapons match fan uh maybe at my older age i just it doesn't as appeal to me as it once did when i was younger and i grew up in the ecw era but um this match itself you look at twitter and other social media seem very divided here as far as the violence goes a lot of barbed wires moxley took a fork out and took the hangman's forehead a lot of bleeding table spots all over the place very violent bricks you know using bricks to smash each other's hands was it uh, uh, Moxley one time did a curb stomp and the crowd started cheering Seth Rollins theme song. For, for, if you're a fan of like death matches or violent matches, this definitely was awesome. So how do you think uh, being in there in person? How how do you feel about the whole thing? I'm right there with you. I'm not the biggest death match hardcore type okay. of guy. Um, but, you know, if it's work because there was like a moment in AEW where they were kind of just doing hardcore matches seemingly every week. But yeah. now they kind of have, you know, reeled it back a little bit. Now, John Mox is bleeding pretty much every night in AEW. <laughs> but at Revolution, I thought this match was fantastic and it was definitely my second best match of the night. And I, okay. I was getting very much involved. I thought they told a really good story. Um, you know, Hangman comes out to Ghost Riders in the Sky. Unfortunately, I missed that because I went to, you know, go to the bathroom and get <laughs> another beer. But, <laughs> um, 
he you know he looked like a, a star and he always kind of pulls out the the big entrances and the cool entrances for these pay-per-views and i was i was excited that hangman got the win okay you tap out john moxley something you don't expect you beat him at his own game and then now dynamite rolls around and we're still doing hangman page and john moxley apparently <laughs> yeah so first off shout out AEW for embracing classic rock as far as with hangman also Ken, uh the, the elite using kansas and also orange cassidy you know little uh, uh starship there in the past or, or you know to this point um the finish though was interesting as far as excuse me uh hangman wrapping moxley in a chain and like choking him on the rope almost like hanging him a little bit excuse me hanging him and moxley tapped out i i don't know if the best of your recollection uh, remembering is that the first time Moxley's ever tapped out in AEW? I think that's like a big moment that I think a lot of people, not a lot of people are talking about, but I think, you know, for Moxley, you know, he hasn't lost a lot of matches in AEW, but I think that's the first time he's actually tapped out. I mean, I look at, he lost to CM Punk last year. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what else, this, but yeah, this is where we fire up old cage match and we see John Moxley's history and see what happens. Okay. Okay. So yeah, as you look that up, yeah. So for seeing Moxley tap out, uh, that that was pretty shocking. And also Hangman, isn't Hangman? I think technically what two and zero or three and zero in death or Texas death matches, and Moxley's like one and two now in AEW. I want to say so. Moxley, I think has a losing record. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he has a a, a losing record now in those type of matches because he lost to uh, Lance Archer at one point. Um, but Hangman's won all his, I believe. So. Uh, definitely <laughs> hangman is the king of the Texas death matches now. So don't, don't, don't F with hangman there. Um, but then jumping to dynamite, uh, we saw Renee do an interview with hangman, which is always interesting. Cause you know, she is married to, uh, to Moxley does this great interview with hangman hangman more or less apologizes to her for beating him up. And then later in the night, we see Moxley tag with Claudio and they're going up against Silver and Reynolds. They beat the crap out of them, and they won't stop beating them. Even Uno came out trying to make the save, and they beat him up. So is Moxley going heel now, or all Blackpool Combat Club? What's your thoughts on kind of direction they're all going? I think a lot of people thought Moxley was going on vacation now, but no, I think he's kind of going heel. Yeah, I, I like the the promo Hangman cut. You know, he he at least was putting an end to the feud. And was like we're done, and yeah. then now. We get uh, Moxley, who once again, it's kind of it's kind of nitpicking, but also not like he just had a Texas death match. It's three days later. Does he really need to be wrestling? Like, yes, maybe he should. Maybe he should have the night off, like not from like a a meta standpoint, but just from like a storytelling standpoint. Maybe just not have him do that. And yeah, he's seemingly turning heel with the entire Blackpool Combat Club. And he was doing that like he seemingly was turning heel from 21 to 22 before he went off to rehab. Mm, And I just don't know how much, like how much is the crowd going to turn against him? Cause like Kenny, he turned heel. Yes. He got some booze, but also people are going to like Kenny no matter what. And I know in this era of wrestling, it's very hard to get heels going, but I just don't know what Moxley is going to do. And like, Moxley's babyface character is kind of heelish already. So how much more devastating is he going to be? Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting because not to jump too far ahead, but Blackpool Combat Club, for the the most part in the last couple months, they've been mostly a three-man group with Yuta, Claudio, 
and Moxley. Brian Danielson been kind of off on his own, kind of distancing himself from Blackpool. He's very much hardcore baby face right now. And so I think that's by design, keeping him away from them, which will kind of go with where's Brian Danielson go from here in a second. Uh, but so next up was the TNT championship match at revolution. So King of television, Samoa Joe taking on Wardlow. I, I, you know, I was kind of checking out some other people's reviews and thoughts on this. And I think the general consensus is this is probably the weakest match of the night. While I love Samoa Joe, he was pretty dominant here. Wardlow, as far as probably the next big thing for AW, he didn't seem to really like stand out this much that that much in this match. How do you think this whole this whole match turned out here? Hey, I agree with the with those people. I this was my kind of least favorite match of the mm-hmm. night. Once again, kind of a come down match from the Texas Death Match. Yeah, the two. Beefy men bump and meat match, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you could have gone either way, especially with Powerhouse Hobbs uh, sitting in the rafters or sitting in the luxury box waiting uh, for Wednesday. But that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was a cool little visual, but yeah, it, it just didn't really work. This could have been like a TV match or something like that, and the crowd wasn't really into it. And yeah, not really much to say. It was like it was fine, as I said, nothing was bad on this show, but this was definitely kind of the weakest at everything. It- it was shocking to finish the Wardlow choked out Samoa Joe for the win. So that was kind of interesting to see Wardlow p- pick up a win by submission over Samoa Joe, making him tap out. Samoa Joe doesn't normally do that. Um, so afterwards, at, 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 uh, we call it the, the media scrum after the show, Wardlow was one of the other people that came in, he came in with the title, all happy, celebrating and excited for what's next with him during the media scrum. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs came in through the came in barging in the room, had his, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog golden ring with him, the face of the revolution ladder match. When, oh, which, by the way, I haven't touched on that. He won the face of the revolution ladder match on Wednesday at the Cow Palace. Awesome moment for Will. Normally that match is on the pay-per-view, but since they had the Iron Man match, they put some matches on Dynamite. Very happy for Will in front of the hometown crowd to get that big star making moment here. So shout out to him. But because he won that, he gets an automatic TNT championship match. And I was shocked that it was going to be just the following week. So for uh, Wardlow, not a lot of time to rest or celebrate winning the title. He had to defend it three days later. Uh, but Powerhouse House, when he came in that media room, I was like, whoa, he means business here. He was like calling him out. He says, you know, be ready this Wednesday. So, um, you know, for the match itself, like you said, for Wardlow, it's kind of shocking, you know, or not shocking, excuse me. It was kind of a flat match overall. But the big story was afterwards, was it um, was it Tuesday or, or Tuesday? Wardlow posted a video on Twitter that someone broke into his car, stole all his luggage, all his personal items, including the TNT championship, all his ring gear. <sighs> it sucks. Do we know where he was parked at all? Was that ever revealed? I think a lot of people are trying to say, but I guess he he didn't get the memo, the Bay Area memo that you don't leave your stuff in the car. Yeah, exactly. I I, I know multiple people on Twitter were tweeting out like for anyone not from here, please take your belongings with you. Do not leave it in the car. So, yeah, it's it's sad. And the video went viral really quickly over the next 24 hours. So um, jumping ahead to Dynamite, the main event was Powerhouse Hobbs challenging for the TNT title from Wardlow. And I kind of like had to kind of did a little course correction here since Wardlow realistically didn't have any of his ring gear. It was all stolen. They decided to make it a false count anywhere. And so with that being said, 
he was able to dress the part with like was it black jeans and like a, just a regular black shirt, kind of like street fighting clothes, and same for Powerhouse Hobbs. How do you think kind of they uh, they little detour there? I, I think the just the match stipulation was fine. You know, got to work with what you got. So having a kind mm-hmm. of a street fight, it, it was good. Uh, I mean, the match itself was like okay. I don't know if you we're going to get too much into the match itself. I hated the finish. Like why is Kitty Marshall <laughs> hate, helping out uh, Powerhouse Hobbs after all this and. Yeah, it, it's I mean, Wardlow, I don't know what they're doing with Wardlow. Like you build him up a little bit and then you put him in this awkward position to to lose the title three days into a rain. And ever since he ever since he beat MJF at double or nothing last year, it's just kind of all been downhill from here. Yeah. And that's something they brought up in the media scrum. It's like, OK, like a year ago, you were the hottest thing in AEW. And now, you know, here we are, you know, you're not in that same position and so he said, like, he wants to rebuild everything and get back to that point. And now in the last three days, they kind of deflated him again. So, yeah, he had the match with Powerhouse Hobbs. Fun main event there, like, beating the crap out of each other all over the, the arena. I enjoyed it. But, yeah, sure enough, the finish saw QT Marshall come out, beat up Wardlow with the chair, and then Powerhouse Hobbs power slam Wardlow <laughs> through the the outside table right there i guess definitely not a crash pad (laughs) definitely not a crash pad it it almost tony giovanni said wardlow almost broke his back it was devastating yes um so yeah it was um so yeah the both of them hobbs and qt powerbomb wardlow off the stage there but yeah it was yeah it was like cardboard and a lot of padding so and it didn't really like break down that hard it just it looked like a soft cushion landing, but it didn't really like break to have like a big, wow. Oh my God. Moment right there. Um, but yeah. And then Excalibur was trying to do his best explain why QT would help him. I guess going back when QT and Ricky Starks were feuding Hobbs came to QT's help and, uh, QT always appreciated that and said, I owe you one. And so he cashed in his, his favor to help Will win this match here and become new TNT champion. So Wardlow only had what, a three day title reign. Hobbs is now the new TNT champion, which I'm very happy. All of us here in the Bay Area who grew up watching him or seen him wrestle for a long time in APW and other promotions in the Bay Area were extremely happy for him to get his biggest title of his career to date. But yeah, to align himself with QT Marshall. I don't know if that's a great move. QT and the factory have been one of the you know least popular factions in AEW. So I don't know. What do you think about that pairing for right now? I I, I don't I I don't I mean the pairing itself, like maybe they can sway me on it, but the finish <laughs> I thought it was just so flat and so deflating. And I think this is almost a problem with AEW is like when it yeah. comes to heels winning, they always need to have some sort of out, some sort of cheating. Like, yes, heels should be cheating to win most of the time, but also like they should be able to to beat a baby face clean. Not saying he powerhouse Hobbs need to do this here, but like QT Marshall is one of the most low level guys you have on the roster and you're going to have him beat. Uh, you know, Wardlow and powerhouse Hobbs just barely skirts by like, I thought they could have done that a little bit differently. And like, I, I do want AEW to explain some of the backstory more often. And credit to the announcers. Like they, as you said, they were trying to fit. However, like, was, like a year's worth of stuff it. in like 10 seconds. Yeah. But yeah, um, I do want to shout out John LaRocca, friend of the show, former booker for APW. He did tweet out something earlier, which I, I think kind of explains why maybe a lot of people were upset. So he said, let's take a look at the booking of Wardlow versus Hobbs. Wardlow babyface makes the match falls count anywhere. 
no slash no rules. Hobbs wins when QT per stipulation legally interferes to helps Hobbs win. No heat is on Hobbs because he won within the rules. So the booking established one Wardlow is a dumb baby face. No heat is put on Hobbs because he won within the rules Wardlow wanted. Hobbs doesn't get over because he needed QT to win. Hobbs is built up like a badass, but now he needs help to win. You say you will say Hobbs is a heel, so that's why he cheated. This would have generated heat if one Warlow was over. He's been ice cold, cold as of late because he just came back. He was gone for a couple months um, after he got his haircut from Samoa Joe. Uh, two QT generated money drawing heat. QT generates go away heat. So that excuse me, that's LaRocca explaining. He he doesn't have the good heat. He has the bad heat, the go away heat. Uh, QT will be in uh, albatross on on Hobbs. Hobbs should uh, should have beat Samoa Joe clean in the middle. Samoa Joe had heat. Samoa Joe was over. Wardlow has been ice cold since he feuded with Mark Sterling and the booking of his lackluster first title reign as TNT champion. Hobbs deserved better. So LaRocca coming kind of defense of Hobbs of just kind of the bad booking for this, which I do agree. It's like it's like what was the point of Wardlow being Samoa Joe and then three days later dropped the belt. Maybe Hobbs should have been in that position instead, but I get it. It's heel versus heel then in that situation. So I don't know. I I hope Wardlow goes off to maybe something better now at this point. I don't know where they go, though. I'm just kind of like, I don't know. We'll see. It's, uh, yeah, we'll see how this plays out I think here. at this point, maybe just cut your losses, just have Wardlow go back to being a heel. I, I just think that's, at this point, he's much more suited to be a heel. Yeah. And, and as I said, like, you need heels for AEW, and I think he's a guy that people aren't going to bat an eye at and start booing if you tell them yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Um, so after that, it was the tag team championship match. So it was a fatal four way. The Guns, current champions, taking on the acclaim. Also, Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett, and the thrown together team of Dan Housen and, and Orange Cassidy. So um, <laughs> I was kind of like going into this to be like, eh. I mean, the Guns, I think, are cool, kind of like that. You know, they're the heels that everyone hates. They're just so annoying. Um, the acclaim one of the most over acts in all the EW, which I was kind of worried why they dropped the titles in the first place, but it kind of makes sense based on what's going on, who came back and all that. We'll get into that in a second. The team of Jay lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Why are these guys getting so many title opportunities? Like it's like, Jeff Jarrett. He always gets title opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I, I know Jeff Jarrett's a legend. I love Jeff Jarrett. I loved him since I was a kid. But it's like, why they keep getting so many opportunities here? It's ridiculous. And then Danhausen and Orange Cassidy, which I was like, there was no other tag teams available. I mean, like I feel like the tag team division right now in AEW is kind of off a little bit. Like two years ago, the tag team division was amazing, but now it's like they're just team. There's there's not that many like big name teams right now. I know some are kind of off on the trios side of things right now, but. This match, I was like, that's the best four teams you can get booked together for this match here. Um, the match itself was fine. I like seeing Dan Housen, the big, uh, was it the former, what's the guy's name? The former uh, basketball Sunil player. Singh. That was pretty funny seeing them going face off, the shortest guy versus the tallest guy. Um, the match was okay. It was very chaotic, kind of all over the place. What did you think of of that tag match there? I mean, it, it was exactly what you thought it was going to be. You know, a little bit more action compared to the uh, ha or the uh, 
Wardlow and Samoa Joe match. So you kind of get yeah. the crowd revved up a little bit. And, you know, I was with my friend and my brother and my friend loves Dan Housen. He bought a Dan Housen mask. So, <laughs> you know, almost at the end of the show, a few beers deep, you know, we were just having fun with it. But, yeah, the match itself was was just comedy. And yeah, it I mean, it is what it is. Guns get in there, get out. They have the you know, they win the match. They keep the titles and the acclaim. I just felt they are cooling off a bit. Like they were over. Yeah. People had their scissors and stuff, but it wasn't, they're not as over as they were a few months ago. Exactly. And I, I think that's, that's a problem. Like they shouldn't have taken the titles off them so quickly, but I guess there's a bigger plan or reasoning for that as we saw. So with the finish, you know, Jeff Jarrett grabbed his guitar, swung it at Max Caster, uh, but Max took it away from Jarrett. Uh, before Max could use it, Aubrey, ref Aubrey took it away. Jay Lethal, uh, hit Max with the Golden Globe. And then Austin Gunn grabbed a blind tag and Dan Housen tagged into the guns drill. Dan Housen with the, uh, three, was it three one, three ten to Yuma and pinned Dan Housen. So Dan Housen ultimately ate the pin. Uh, so yeah, the guns retain. Uh, they're celebrating. They had an interview in the ring post match with Renee. Ultimately, to set up FTR, big return, come down to the ring and uh, beat them up. And, you know, are looks like they're coming for revenge. So remember, back in December, uh, the guns took the titles or excuse me, um, beat up FTR and they went on. They were gone for a while and they had like the uh, the funeral segment that their careers are done. So uh, um, and then jumping ahead to Dynamite, they cut a promo. FTR says like they're pretty much back for revenge, want those titles back. And so what do you think of FTR back in AEW? And, you know, obviously it makes sense. The guns having the tag titles right now for FTR, they ultimately get the revenge, you get the titles back. I'm happy FTR is uh, back in AEW. Now the internet also says that the contract situation still is the same. They, <laughs> their contracts might be up in a few months. So maybe this is just a way to, you know, put the team over on the way out. But, mm-hmm. um, I was kind of hoping and expected FTR to show up after uh, after this match just because of, as you said, kind of the connection that they have with the guns uh, when mm-hmm. they left AEW originally. So uh, I'm happy to see that. Then the promo they cut on Wednesday. Uh, overall, I was kind of down on it on uh, Impact on uh, Dynamite overall, but I thought this promo was very well done. FTR is so over. I mean, the crowd loved him. The promos yeah. they cut, mm-hmm. they, you know, skirt that fine line of kind of being, you know, meta, but then also being, you know, straight from the heart. And it feels mm-hmm. like it's legit how they feel. So uh, I'm happy that they're back. I wish maybe their other, you know, their best friend and my best friend, CM Punk, was also Revolution, but uh, <laughs> they were not. So I'll just settle for FTR. Yeah. So it's going to be kind of curious to see where they go from here. If FTR wins the tag titles, then I have a feeling they probably resign. I know Dax is trying to keep it kayfabe. Me like, you know, our contracts, nothing's changed. And I believe they're supposed to expire beginning of April. So a lot of people are like, ooh, could they go back to WWE after WrestleMania? But the fact they showed up here, yeah, could they just be fulfilling the last like three weeks of their contract and put over the guns, like you said? Or if they do win the tag titles at some point, you know, maybe they resigned and and maybe that's a sign CM Punk is coming back at some point. That's their buddy. And maybe they do FTR and CM Punk versus the elite. That's a big money match. Everyone would love this to see based on the locker room drama and whatnot. Who knows? It's going to be really, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out here for FTR. I'm kind of curious where their hearts are. I, it, it, staying with AEW, it, it's, you know, less wear and tear in our body, less matches, 
per like the compared to the WWE schedule. And, you know, for Dax, he can spend more time with his family, do more podcasting. But then again, I don't know if they get as much money compared to WWE. You can make the argument WWE tag team divisions improve and you know, maybe there's some new fresh opportunities for them over there. And with Triple H in charge of creative, maybe they can kind of rekindle that NXT magic they once had. So I don't know what FTR's future is. I, I For them, I just want them to be happy. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I kind of lean towards them coming back to WWE because I'd love to see them versus the Usos and get some revenge for the all the Usi ice, I, you know, the, all the, the the jokes that they were being pulled on in the pranks a couple years ago. So, I don't know. We, we don't I, need I'm, to I'm, get any callbacks to that ever again. We could just bury, lock that away and <laughs> forget, forget about that ever. it. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, before I forget, speaking of Orange Cassidy, he is the All Atlantic champion. Tony Khan made the big announcement last night that it's being rebranded. So Orange Cassidy versus Shazam. Everybody go watch Shazam. Brought to you exactly. by Warner Brothers or whatever. So next week in Winnipeg, uh, Orange Cassidy is going to defend not the AEW All-Atlantic titles. Now the international title to Jeff Jarrett in Canada. Your thoughts on the rebranding here? I like it. I always thought the All-Atlantic title name was always you know dumb to begin with. Now, I don't want another title in AEW. I wish they just uh, dissolved it entirely. But because well, when Tony Khan was like, oh, this is going to be the last title defense of the All-Atlantic Championship, I got very excited. But no, it's just a new name. So if we're not going to get rid of the title, <laughs> might as well give it a better name. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to see where Orange Cassidy does with it. I know at Pac, when he was champion, he actually defended overseas at some indie show. So I wonder if Orange Cassidy, they'll let him start doing that more, maybe defend the title on other promotions, other parts of the world. I, I Orange Cassidy, like him or not, he is a ratings draw. So I wouldn't be mad if Orange Cassidy, you know, takes it overseas. He forgets <laughs> about his belt and it just goes away forever. And then the person who stole Wardlow's title finds that title too. And exactly. just has all the titles, which I, I hope they recover that title at some point. Uh, I know we talked about the main event already from dynamite Wardlow versus Hobbs. They had another TNT title out there that QT grabbed off the desk. I'm sure they have backup titles, or maybe they went to the merch stand and grabbed the title, one of the replica ones, just for the time being. Wasn't Brock Lesnar a couple years ago had a replica Universal title once when he came to the ring? He didn't have the actual one. Um, but with the situation, though, if I'm the thief who broke into Wardlow's car, if you go to a pawn shop, whoever trying to cash it in, whoever sees it, be like, whoa, this is a one of a kind. Like, I, I hope whoever took Ten it. Bucks. <laughs> whoever took it is going to be dumb enough to try to, to sell it off and whoever sees it you know uh, rats them out you know tells the cops so like kind of like when jericho remember he got his the, the aew tile stolen a couple years ago they someone turned it back in right away he so. drunkenly left it on top of a limousine <laughs> on the way to a steakhouse yes it wasn't so. stolen oh, i forgot to ask him about that last week damn it oh well <laughs> next time chris i'll ask you about it what really happened that night um and so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do here uh, with the international title. And then online, Twitter, everyone's like, how soon are people going to screw up and say call it the intercontinental title? So that'd be kind of funny if anyone slips. I bet Taz might slip and accidentally say it. That's my prediction. How, or or Jim Ross. Jim, Jim Ross would just call it. He'll just always call it the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> the IC title. <laughs> it's our IC title. So, all right. Main event time for the AEW World Championship. A 60-minute Ironman match between champion MJF versus the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. 
Brian Danielson came out to a huge pop from the crowd, which I don't think a lot of people realize. And Brandon, please confirm he lives in Napa, right? With his wife, like they have the winery up there. I think Brian Danielson lives in Napa. So technically he's a Bay area guy now. So kind of a hometown show for him. Right. I mean, yeah, the both the Bella twins were there. All the all the yeah. kids were there. So it was a it was a fun little family reunion over there. Exactly. Uh, but this match itself, I, I know a lot of people are calling it the greatest Iron Man match of all time. I don't want to say that necessarily because that's like recency bias. But man, this match was awesome. Way better Would than you- that trash WrestleMania 12 main event. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so, yeah, what'd you think of this Iron Man match here? I I mean, I so going into this how, when they announced like two months ago, they announced yeah. it pretty far at it that they were going to do this match. I was like, oh, God, we're doing an hour long match and kind of going off the WrestleMania 12. I'm like, oh, it's an hour. It's going to take a long time. How, like, how are they going to fill this time? But credit to them, like credit to MJF and Danielson. I thought they did fantastic in this match. Like they, you know, killed a little bit of time early on, but from like the 45 minute a 40 minute in spot they just kept going mm-hmm. and they, they there was no real breathing you know throughout that match and it was fantastic now you know i'm not going to sit here and say it was the best match of iron man match of all time definitely like the brock kurt ones up there mm-hmm. and there's probably some like well technically like the roh matches were like just hour-long draws but th- this one definitely i would say is up there and i am kind of debated in my own head if this is like one of the greatest matches i've seen live and oh, okay daniel brown or brian Danielson, daniel brian whatever you call him is one of my favorite guys <laughs> okay. of all time so i definitely have a soft spot for him and so it was a lot of fun to see him have this match and like the iron man match was always going to be some sort of contrivances so that's always built in but i thought they did a, a fantastic job and this match was kind of the tipping point for whether this was a, a decent show or a great show and i thought this took it over the edge to make it a great show yeah, going back to like the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart Iron Man match, as we all know now, like it, it was no pinfalls until and then they went to overtime. It was zero zero in the overtime. They finally Shawn got the you know the pinfall there. This one, I'm glad they actually got quite a few pinfalls back and forth. About I think it was like about halfway through roughly where they started going off. I know uh, Danielson got the first pin when he hit the knee on MJF, and then MJF. I like how he sacrifice a pinfall in order to get two quick ones. So he low blowed Brian Danielson. The ref DQ'd himself as a pinfall for Brian, but then he rolled up Brian Danielson for two back to back pins. I was like, that's pretty smart strategy from a heel standpoint. That was great. So it was two, two ultimately. And then going back and forth, I like how MGF kept taking breaks, (laughs) getting water outside the ring. I was like, throwing tequila on a child how dare he so yeah during the match he was outside uh threw tequila on the little kid and the kid was upset but the kid his mom got to go backstage and meet powerhouse hobbs and some other wrestlers amanda huber was there to uh make that happen as an apology there there's still some people think it, it, it was a plant some are saying it wasn't i don't know i mean the debate is up in the air um you know, MJF, it, it, I think it was an interesting way to get some heat for himself by throwing a liquid on the little kid. Um, I'm surprised the mom didn't like react and like try to hit him or slap him or something. So I don't know what to believe. Everyone's saying, no, it was the reports are saying, no, it was it was not a plan. It was an actual family there. I don't know. Um, but 
it's interesting. Some people were are for the idea. Some people did not like that that moment right there. I don't know. Let the the internet you know, debate about that for for a while now. Um, but you know, I like towards the end. It was ultimately uh, it was was a tied three three. Let's see. Uh, I had the the the, the, the uh, pinfalls there. Um, so it went the full sixty minutes. It was tied. And so Justin Roberts announced it as a draw. Uh, Tony Schiavone got word for Tony Khan over the headset. And he came down to the ring and said, and I like during that moment, MJF was like getting oxygen put on him. And he was like heavy breathing. Uh, but Justin Roberts announced to Tony Khan said, this match will not end in a draw. It would be sudden death and next fall win the match. And so MJF shoved the ref and the ref pushed, pushed him back. Uh, Brian Danielson cradled MJF for a near fall. MJF pulled the ref close. Then low blow Danielson with a back kick. MJF tried to pin, but Danielson kicked out. MJF was about to use the dynamite dynamite ring when Danielson connected with the reverse hurricanrana. Danielson uh, hit MJF with the running knee for a two count. And then Brian Danielson put MJF in a single leg crap submission. MJF grabbed the bottom rope and then tapped out. Danielson didn't see MJF grab the rope, only hearing the tap. MJF cracked uh Danielson with the oxygen tank, uh, unbeknownst to the ref. And then MGF put Danielson in the LaBelle lock and Danielson finally tapped out. So what a dramatic ending there. I give the ref credit. Like he was trying to stop every little dirty thing MGF was doing, but it was so much to keep track of. It was interesting. MGF finally used the oxygen tank to hit Brian Danielson with it, which ultimately led to uh, getting the win there. So how do you think of that, that particular finish? Yeah, a lot of things going on in like the last five minutes or you know yeah. five minute overtime. Um, you know the announcement of overtime, I wasn't the biggest fan of. I would say MJF's kind of low blow and then like two successive pinfalls afterwards. I wasn't a fan of because it was very confusing. Even oh, okay. like, I guess, yeah. like I guess the commentators were also confused what was going on. And like from a logical standpoint, like why did MJF just keep doing that? Just trade one pin one DQ for two pinfalls after that. Uh. But, you know that that's just nitpicking and thinking, but also like we we've seen Iron Man matches end in draws before. You, Tony Khan, you don't think you should have saw this happening? And so I, I think that was also <laughs> kind of built to kind of make Tony Khan the baby face and get this big pop for like, oh Tony, yay, we love you. We're gonna get more wrestling. So yeah. that was kind of like okay, kind of roll my eyes at that. But yeah, the finishing <laughs> sequence it was it was a lot going on. I think the 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 fake two, you know drop the hand for two and then you, you hook up for three. I think that's kind of oh. an underutilized spot. And I think at, at that point, after over an hour, the crowd was definitely behind Danielson, even though if you asked pretty much everybody beforehand, they would have thought uh, MJF was going to win. But in the moment, you know, wrestling fans are going to make believe Danielson's going to do it. So I thought it was all, it was all fun. Yeah. So what a finish there went to overtime. MJF wins in the media scrum. He comes in, and you can watch the video clip I put it on YouTube and it's all over social media as well. But it's pretty much said I'm the best in the world. I beat the guy who says he's the best in the world. I'm the best wrestler on the mic in the ring and just really trying to sell himself. And in the media scrub, you know, he was bloody beat up. He was eating pickles. So trying to poke fun at CM Punk's uh, all out press conference where CM Punk was all beat up, bleeding, eating a muffin and drinking uh sparkling water <laughs> and so uh i like that little poke that little dig there so maybe foreshadowing if cm punk ever comes back maybe they can revisit their feud as well um but brian danielson on dynamite cut this promo after the match and he just explained 
why he tapped out. Like he was full of adrenaline, trying to fight, fight, fight MJF. But it came to a point where he realized, you know, it, it, I couldn't, he couldn't feel his leg, couldn't feel his arm. And if he didn't tap out, he wouldn't be able to hold his kids anymore and just enjoy his life the way it is right now. And remember, that's the, the one thing MJF was jealous for. While MJF is currently the champion, he's jealous of Brian Danielson's life. He has everything, beautiful wife, family, fans love him, everything. But the one thing MJF has is that title. So he's envy of MJ, of, excuse me, of Brian Danielson. And then Brian Danielson in that moment realized he wants to maintain that. So ultimately, that's why he tapped out. So what'd you think of his explanation there? And then he added, I need to go home. And is Brian Danielson going to be gone for a while now? So I don't know what happens, but what'd you think about that? I, I thought Danielson's promo was fantastic. Um, I think maybe you could have played it earlier in the show, kind of like really drive home what just happened to Revolution instead of just get it into a, an all-Atlantic title match that I don't think a lot of people care too much about. But I thought the promo yeah. was great and going, you know, just kind of ending it on that kind of question mark of he's going home. Oh, what, what does that mean? I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think he's, you know, quitting, going to WWE or anything like that. I think it's just kind yeah. of a little story. He'll be back in a little bit. Um you know, two months away from double or nothing, maybe he does something else. He finds another feud that way. But uh yeah, I thought it was just a, a fantastic kind of sentimental baby face. Cause, you know, having a, a baby face losing promo is always kind of a hard thing to do. And I thought mm-hmm. Danielson walked the line perfectly. Absolutely. So I imagine he's probably take a little time off, heal up, rest his body, and at the same time, like he's, I said earlier, he's been distancing himself from the Blackpool Combat Club. So is this a sign? Blackpool Combat Club, the three of them are going to kind of go on this heel run. Maybe Brian Danielson comes back and tries to confront him. Like, guys, what are you doing? This is not our purpose. This is not what William Regal wanted from us. And maybe that sets up a feud down the road. Brian Danielson versus those guys at something. So he can go off on his own program outside of the main event world title picture scene there. So we'll see how it goes. So that was revolution. Uh, let me take a quick scan from dynamite's results. I think we pretty much addressed all the major points there. Um, is there anything else from dynamite that stood out for you? I think we got it all sky blue lost to Ruby Soho. Uh, Jay Cargill cut a promo. That was a big question mark. Everyone was like, why was she not part of Revolution? I get it. They had less matches because of the Iron Man match. Uh, it sucks for us hometown crowd. We didn't get to get to see Jay Cargill in person. I know she's a big star there. Um, she wasn't see. on Rampage either, so she wasn't on any AEW shows. Correct. Yeah, so that was kind of a bummer. Um, let's see. The Acclaim cut a promo. Um, who who is oh that's right Jericho Appreciation Society uh, confronted the acclaim so looks like the acclaim that's their next opponent right now is Menard and the and the other guy uh, so yeah that's about it so yeah very action packed week of AEW in the Bay Area and also Sacramento so I hope uh, Tony Khan comes back very soon so if you follow in the click on social media I posted a clip of my question to Tony Khan asking his thoughts about running their first shows ever in San Francisco and, and a timeline when we, when we can see them come back to the Bay area. So gives me a pretty long winded answer. So check it out. You can also you answer subscribe. the question. <laughs> you guys danced around it a little bit. Um, so I hope they come back soon at some point, they can go to Oakland they can go to San Jose. Hopefully they come back very soon and not like, I hope they at least come back here at least once a year. So fingers crossed they uh, come back at some point in the near future. So, uh, all right. Uh, let's go ahead on that note, start wrapping things up. I actually got a haircut appointment. I got to run too soon. So, Brandon, where can the Clicksters find you online? 
Well, uh, no personal things to plug, but if you want to follow <laughs> my uh, podcast that I'm on, you go to the Bullocast, the Bullocast on Twitter and Instagram. And also, if you guys like sports, I do a sports and wrestling podcast with my boy Dominic. Curveballs and chair shots. Follow that Twitter and Instagram. Curveballs and CS. We drop uh, on Thursdays and Fridays on my respective shows. So if after you're done listening to this, go listen to those. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you again, Brandon, for uh, making a call on short nose to record with me. I do appreciate that as always. And uh, I'm Baby Huey. Follow me on Facebook at Baby Huey Official, Twitter and Instagram at Baby Huey 83. For everything else, just subscribe to In the Click, where we get your podcast at. And uh, also, yeah, subscribe to us on YouTube. Oh, I forgot to mention. Yeah. Watch my interview with Chris Jericho. It's about 30 minutes. Appreciate him making the extra time to sit down with me in studio. And we just talked a lot of stuff about his time in AEW thus far. So please check it out. Subscribe to In The Clicks YouTube page. Watch the Media Scrum videos. Subscribe where we get your podcast at. If you want to email me, you could do so in the click at gmail.com. And on that note, let's go home. And that's the bottom line because Huey said so.